Good morning, folks, or good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you are listening in, and welcome back to Your Turn, the podcast about board games for both those who are already in the hobby, those people that are thinking about the hobby, and those that didn't know that board gaming is a hobby. I am your host, Zach Anderson, and I would like to thank you all for tuning in and listening to me, well, ramble on once again about this fantastic topic. Before I actually get to today's topic, though, I would like to apologize for taking so long on getting this episode made and posted. Uh, I was planning on recording a few weeks ago, but unfortunately I lost my voice and then immediately got sick afterwards. And I figured y'all didn't want to hear me wheezing and dying uh, for 30 minutes. So I'm feeling quite a bit better. Thank you all. But let's get on to the topics for the day. Next, I would like to give you a small little spoiler for things to come on this podcast. I have a few ideas for the next few episodes. Um, I'm hoping to, to have a guest on, in, maybe not next episode, but in the coming episode. You can also check out news and pictures from me on my Instagram at z.a. underscore your turn where I post pictures of games I'm playing, of miniatures I've been painting or working on, and just kind of overall board game news from me. Now, let us move on to the topic you are all here to listen to, or hear about, you know, the board games. Today, I'll be discussing one of my favorite board game uh, mechanics or mechanisms of all time, one of my favorite genres, and that is deck building. Following that, I'm going to talk to you about actually one of my favorite deck builders. Lastly, I'm going to talk about a classic game in the board game community. Many people have played it. Um, It often gets hated on or mocked for being what it is. And no, I'm not talking about Monopoly. That game I absolutely loathe. I most likely will not really talk about that one, at least. Um, Unless that's what you all want to really hear about me hating on Monopoly for 30 minutes. Alright, so the board game genre or mechanic for this episode is deck building, also known as pool building. This genre is defined as a game in which a player has a personal pool or collection of cards or tokens which can give them resources or actions that they can take. Resources and actions are often used to give the player more cards or tokens which can later be used for new or different effects throughout the game. For example, one card might give you three coins that you can use to buy new things, whereas a card later on might give you five or six coins. In pretty much all deck building games or pool building games, I'm going to use those kind of interchangeably, the players all start with the same cards, though there are some games, I'm thinking of specifically Star Realms and Hero Realms, where players do have slight variations And I might have an attack that is equal to attack you have, but it's named differently might do something slightly different. These starting decks are normally rather weak or basic. And the purpose of them is to gain new cards or new tokens, depending on the game you're playing. For example, I'm going to stick with Star Realms for just a moment. In that game, your starting cards are simply what you're going to use to buy Bigger ships, bigger bases. Uh, Starting ships usually will give you one attack, whereas the cards you're buying with them might give you three, four, five attack. 
That's what I mean. Each turn, a player will draw a certain number of cards or tokens from their deck or pool that they've built and use what they drew to take actions. Actions in most of these games can include buying new cards, attacking enemies or monsters on the board, moving pieces on a common board, or upgrading the cards that they already have. Games that use this mechanic are normally rather similar and can feel familiar as you play each different deck builder or pool builder. But the, the tweaks and the adjustments that each game has creates a very different experience. For example, I have a game that I play not as much as I'd like called Xenoshift. And this is a actually rare type of deck builder in that it's cooperative. In Xenoshift, I'm trying to work with my fellow players, my the people around the table with me, to, to fight off these creepy, evil-looking bug things. And I swear, if I saw these things in a dark alley, I would most likely die because they're scary. And I don't like big scary bugs that are trying to eat my face. But in that game, I can spend my cards on another player to help them with the bugs they're fighting. But when I'm playing a game like Thunderstone Quest, another of my favorite deck builders, I'm fighting not so much to hurt the other players as it is I'm trying to get further in a dungeon, deeper down into a dungeon, to score more points, to kill larger enemies, to, to ultimately win. There are a few different setups you'll see in deck building and pool building games uh, when it comes to the elements you can add to your deck or pool. There are a few different setups that you'll see in these deck builders or pool building games um, when it comes to what's available to add to your supply, to your deck for lack of a better term. For example, in Ascension, a rather simple deck building game, there's a common row of cards in the middle of the table, which you can either buy new cards to add to your deck, or you can fight monsters in that row, which will give you victory points or more purchasing power. It all really depends on the monster. If player A buys a card that player B really wanted on their turn, you're going to need to adjust your strategy. Figure out, okay, I can't buy that thing anymore. I can't kill that monster anymore because they're gone. What am I going to do on my turn now? And this can actually be really frustrating because when you're playing with multiple people, when you're playing with not, with not nine people, with like four people, and you're sitting on your turn going, man, I, I can buy those two things that's all i can do my cards don't work for anything else and then the person right after you buys one of those cards the person after them buys one of those cards and you're left sitting there with the feeling of well why did i decide to play this game because i can't do squat on my turn unlike ascension there's another game called dominion and this is seen as usually the grandfather of deck building games or the first deck builder and in dominion there are only specific cards used for each game. There's actually sets of cards that make up what's known as the supply in the middle of the table. And there's 10 copies of each of these cards. So, for example, you might have uh, a witch and there are 10 witches. You might have the market and there are 10 market cards. So that even if player A buys a card, player B still has the opportunity to purchase that same card 
as long as there are still copies remaining on the table. Once the 10th card is taken, well, then you can't get any more. One thing I absolutely adore about deck builders or pool builders is that the mechanic or this mechanism can be used with almost any theme. Now, some might take this as a bad thing and say, but this means that the themes are often usually pretty thin because they can be swapped in and swapped out um, however you like. But I've seen deck builders uh, fighting through dungeons. I've seen deck builders about creating words with random letters in the same vein as Scrabble. I've seen a pool builder game where you're trying to save France from invaders. I'm terrible at that one, by the way. Uh, I've seen creating an army of random warriors and mythic creatures to vanquish your enemies, and even learning new magic spells to fight off the forces of darkness. This mechanic can either be the sole mechanism in a game, as it is in DC deck building game, or it can be paired with other mecha uh, mechanisms, like exploring and conquering a fantasy realm, which you can see in a game like Mage Knight. Before I move on from this topic and move on to the, our first board game, I've already mentioned quite a few, but if this sounds like a game or a type of game you might be interested in, you might want to check these out. First is a game called Orleans, which is a pool building game in which you're trying to gather resources within France. There is Shards of Infinity, where you are recruiting champions and fighting against uh, champions working for your opponent, trying to get your opponent's life points down to zero. And finally, there's Clank, or Clank in Space, where you are exploring a dungeon or a spaceship to steal artifacts and not be killed by the dragon or the evil alien overlord before you escape. Clank is especially an interesting one if you are a fan of J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Hobbit series, the Lord of the Rings series, specifically The Hobbit. But that does it for the genre or the mechanism of the week. Let's move on to talking about some specific board games. The first board game I'd like to talk to you about is actually a deck builder, and it is called Legendary, a Marvel deck building game. This game was published by Upper Deck Entertainment in 2012, and it was designed by Devin Lowe. Uh, this game plays between one and five players. I would normally suggest it for maybe two to three, four, sometimes five, usually just too many. In each game of Legendary, or as I'm going to call it, Marvel Legendary, because there are quite a few different versions of this game, you're going to face a mastermind, a great villain, or a hero, depending on your point of view, from the Marvel Universe, such as you might face Red Skull or Thanos, or in the copy that I have, I have an expansion that adds King Hulk from the World War Hulk comic book run, which is one of my favorites. The Mastermind will have a scheme that they are trying to complete, and you are fighting with the other players to stop uh, them from achieving their goal. Yes, this is a cooperative game. So if you don't like cooperative games, you might want to just skip of, you know, five, ten minutes ahead because I'm going to talk about cooperative for a little bit. Each player starts the game with a deck of 12 cards. These are made up of basic 
shield agents and basic shield troopers. And on their turn, players will draw six cards. The cards drawn will normally have one of two kind of points on them that give their players the ability to either recruit, which these are shown by a star icon, or attack, which is shown by slash marks. But before a player gets to decide what they want to do on their turn, a new villain is going to be turned over from the villain deck. These give players uh, people to kill or target. The player then calculates how much recruitment and attack points they have available to them on their turn. Recruitment points are used to buy new heroes from the headquarters, which can include Spider-Man, multiple versions of him, the Incredible Hulk, Black Widow, Captain America. The list goes on and on. Again, I have the World War Hulk expansion, so I have his entire war band um, at my availability. But there are only five of these heroes uh, used in each game, so the, there's quite a bit of variety. A player can use attack to kill any enemies that are revealed and help get them closer to the end of the game because you can also attack the mastermind speaking of the mastermind each mastermind has four tactics that must be defeated in order for the players to win these tactics are face down underneath the original mastermind card himself and when you face him you will shuffle these four cards together drawing a random one seeing if you defeat him seeing what effects take place and then moving from there uh, once all four are defeated, the game is over. There is a variant in which players can actually fight the Mastermind card itself, adding a fifth person you must kill, but this is, again, optional. As I previously stated, if the players defeat all of the Mastermind tactics using their attack from their cards, they win the game. The Mastermind, on the other hand, if they complete their scheme they win, players lose. These schemes can include capturing bystanders, killing heroes, can be a number of things. I do want to mention though really quick that no player is actually the mastermind. The mastermind is simply the game mechanics playing against you. And that is how you play Marvel Legendary. Alright, so some of my thoughts on this game. So Marvel, sorry, uh, Legendary, a Marvel deck building game, was one of the first, if not the first deck building game that I ever played. Thank you, Mike. And I instantly fell in love with it. For those of you that have not figured it out yet or don't know me, I am a huge nerd. Not just about board games, but also comic books and movies. Marvel was my first love in the realm of comic books and the nerd culture. And the Incredible Hulk has been my favorite hero for years. I cannot remember a time when he wasn't. I love everything Hulk. But you did not tune in to hear me ramble on about how much I love Marvel. Maybe somewhere down the road I'll do that, but for right now we're talking about board games. This game has some of the greatest replayability out of any game on my shelf. The base game alone comes with 15 different heroes, and you only use 5 per game. So that already creates a large number of variety. But when you add to that 
four different potential masterminds, numerous henchmen, and at least eight different schemes to choose. This, I'm not a mathematician, folks, but this to me is just baffling. There are so many different layouts you can play as with so much variety. There's potential to play this game for years and not see the same game twice. That makes me so excited about this game. Seeing different heroes work together is always entertaining and fun. Having Rocket Raccoon fighting alongside Spider-Man Noir creates a very interesting mental image. Like, how did those two come together? And would they actually get along? I actually think they might. Yeah, that... Uh, come on, Marvel. Give me some uh, Spider-Man Noir Rocket Raccoon team-up comics. I'd read it. In this game, cooperation is key. Figuring out which cards are best for which player and the strategy everyone is going with is important from the very start. If you try to do everything well, you're most likely going to do everything only kind of mediocre or not very well. It is better to divide and conquer. You know, I might decide that I want to go with a deck all about really heavy hitting. You know, I want all the hulks. I want a couple of wolverines and so my deck is just that whereas you might have someone who's more technologically advanced i'm looking at iron man or uh mr fantastic those kind of individuals so finding out what avenue or what strategy you want to go is important from the get-go there are so many expansions for this game but i wouldn't say they're required or that you're required to own every single expansion. I certainly don't. But if there are heroes you really want, for example, the X-Men or the Fantastic Four, then you might want to pick up just those certain expansions. I have four expansions so far, and I don't really know if I want to buy any more because of my, the box that I have it all in is already pretty full. Like, like I said earlier, I could play this game continually for quite a long time and not get the same game twice. Now, the theme of this game is directed towards the comic book nerds, which I am one. But if this sounds like a game you'd enjoy but don't like the theme, there are other versions. There's a version of the game directed at the science fiction epic show Firefly. May it rest in peace. I wish we had more than one season. There is a version from the X-Files universe, you know, Mulder and Scully trying to solve these insane mysteries, as well as there's versions for Aliens and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I haven't played those versions, so I can't necessarily tell you if they're great or not, but I have heard pretty good things about them and that they add different twists along the way. In the end, this is definitely a game I recommend to people interested in trying out the deck building genre. It is very simple, it is very straightforward, and at least with the base game, there are not a lot of small finicky rules to try and deal with. Um, you're not sitting there going, wait, 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 this card uh, says that I need to fight the seventh enemy in this area no it's it's you have this many attack this many recruit what are you going to do with them the mastermind does these things when this card shows up la di da you do it and you're moving on it's quick it's fun 
And if you're as much as a nerd like me, you're going to love the fact that you have the uh, X-Men fighting the Illuminati or the Circus Ringmaster, the Green Goblin from the Noir Universe. It's insane, all the combinations in this. All right. And now on to game number two, a game that I have had the joy of playing quite a few times. And whenever anyone asks me if I play board games, this is the one they always think of first. I'm sure some of you have already been able to guess it. That is Settlers of Catan, or as the copy on my shelf says, The Settlers of Catan. This game was published by Mayfair Games in 2008. Yep, this is an old one. And it was designed by Klaus Tuber. I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, Klaus. Um, I did what I can. This game plays uh, from two to four players. You can get an expansion that adds five to six, but I've never played with that many. Many of you have probably already played Catan or The Settlers of Catan or Settlers of Catan before, but let me quickly go over how you play it. The board for Catan, as I'm going to refer to it, is made up of 19 tiles, and the tiles are surrounded by ocean tiles or blue tiles. Players start on the board with two small settlements and two roads, and the goal of the game is to grow your territory across the map gaining as many points as possible. On their turn, a player will roll two dice, adding up their total. This total will be compared to numbers placed on every single tile, uh, ranging from 2 to 12. Once you find the tiles matching the number you rolled, for example, all the 6 tiles or the 11 tile, any player with a city or a settlement touching that tile will gain its resources. If it's hills, they give you brick. If it's pastures, they give you wool. Mountains give you ore. Fields give you grain. And forests give you wood. There is one other tile. As I said, there's 19 of them. And this is the desert. If you're adjacent to the desert, it's not going to give you anything. This is simply a place for the robber to start the game. Now you might be thinking, Zach, what does the robber do? Well, if a player rolls a 7 on their turn, 2 dice, it's pretty likely. They have the ability to move the robber to a new tile on the board. And, wherever they place the robber, they get to steal a resource from a player with a settlement or city adjacent to that tile. Here's the sucky part about the robber, though. Well, the more sucky part. Any player, that's including the one who rolled the die. If you have more than seven cards in your hand, you have to discard half of your cards. Round it down, but if you're trying to build up to do something epic on your turn, this sucks. I've been sitting there with ten cards. On my turn, I'm about to do something epic. And then I roll a seven. And so bye-bye cards. I'm now down to five. My plan has been demolished. After receiving resources from the roll, uh, a player can first trade with any other players. You can only trade with the player whose turn it is, or you can trade to the bank, and this is called a maritime trade. Whenever you're trading with the bank, you're always trading four of one resource for one of a different resource. So I might trade four brick for a wool, 
not usually a good trade because wool is usually easier to get, or at least it has been in my experience. One slight exception to these two trades is if you control a port space along the ocean, the blue tiles, then you can trade at a different rate. Usually it's either three to one or two of a very specific resource to one. After any trades are complete, the player can use their resources to build more roads, build new settlements, or upgrade their settlements to cities. I do want to make an important note here because I used to play the game incorrectly until I read it. Settlements and cities can never be adjacent to any other settlement or city, even your own. So if you think, man, I'm just going to throw out all my cities really quick right next to each other. Yeah, you can't do that. Have to be at least two roads away. Players can also buy development cards on their turn, uh, which can be used for different effects, such as moving the robber or using a monopoly card to take all of one resource from everyone else. Anytime during your turn, you can play a single development card, only one, but it cannot be the card that you bought that turn. In this game, victory points are kept secret from players, though each city on the board is worth two points and settlements are worth one. So you normally are able to figure out who is in the lead or who is winning. On your turn, if you have 10 points, you will reveal that you have, in fact, 10, and you will win the game. If you get 10 points on another player's turn, for whatever reason, you cannot reveal that you've won. You must wait for your turn. First player to 10 points is the winner. So now my thoughts on this game. Growing up, I did play board games. I played Monopoly. I played Sorry and Clue shoots and ladders, things like that. But I often count the Settlers of Catan or Catan as the first real board game in the hobby I ever played. And to be honest, I hated this game. There's so much luck in this game that there are times where you go turn after turn after turn after turn of getting nothing. And if you happen to have the robber placed next to you, on a lucrative spot, a spot that is constantly giving you resources. Well, guess what? That robber stops you from receiving anything. So your hands are tied. You can't do squat on your turn. It is terrible. I hate how much luck is in this game. Now, this also being said, I was taught this game by my older brother, who he is so much better at strategy than I am. He is able to see things um, in a game that I never can. I'm working on it. And I'm almost there, but still he beats me in games. There were times in this game where I was so close to winning. Once I got to eight points, though, my older brother would, on his turn, simply say, yeah, I've had ten for two turns. I win, uh, which I now realize um, was cheating because once you get ten on your turn, you reveal it. So he just prolonged the game for my own agony, but it still drove me insane. Though this game and I have a very interesting past, and I am aware of its flaws, uh, it doesn't mean it's a bad game. I've talked to many people about this game and taught it to many people because it's normally one of the first game people play in the hobby. This game is such a good gateway game, not the best gateway game, but it's a good gateway game, 
that I actually thank it. And I appreciate this game for what it's done for the hobby. It's always entertaining. Whenever anyone finds out that I'm a board gamer, the first question they ask me is, have you played Catan? Or have you played Settlers of Catan or any of its variants? I quickly, I, I always respond with, yes, in fact, I have. It is an enjoyable game. But it always makes me chuckle because it's the one they go to. But that's the thing. is This is a gateway game. I use it to introduce people to the world of gaming because it's simple. It plays quickly. But then once people are able to grasp these concepts, I'm able to move on to something a little bit more challenging, something with a little bit more higher concepts uh, in the vein of Pandemic or Lords of Waterdeep, moving further along. If you have never played Catan or Settlers of Catan before, I would recommend you give it a try. But don't be expect to be blown away and to have found the greatest game of all time. Because that's not what you're going to find. There are some complexities in the game. And when you add more expansions to it, seafarers, knights, and so forth, it does add more. And it does become more complex. But overall, the game is rolling dice, seeing what resources you get, and trying to get 10 points. It's simple. But it still can be fun at times. You might not want to bring it out with all your uh, huge hardcore gamer friends. But when you just want an easy game or simple game, it's not a bad choice. Settlers of Catan, or like I said, Catan as it's called now, is a decent game. And it's a nice foundation for this wonderful hobby. And for that, I do want to thank the designer and the publisher, as well as my stupid older brother, for introducing it to me. Um, I have his copy now on my shelf. It is old. The box is falling apart. But I don't plan on getting rid of it anytime soon. It's one that I actually like having in my collection. Um, again, I don't pull it out all that often. But when I do, it's a good time. Well, folks, we've come to the end of another episode here at Your Turn. I want to thank you so much for sticking with me as we talked about one of my favorite favorite game mechanisms and some fun games hopefully you learned something new and may have heard about a game or two you might want to check out another episode should be coming up in the next few weeks and as i mentioned earlier i have a few ideas of uh, what i'm going to do in the future of this podcast and i'm looking forward to trying those out and sharing it with you all as always, you can find me here on SoundCloud as well as on my Instagram at z.a.yourturn. Uh, I'll be posting more pictures, more news about board games. I have been your host, Zach Anderson, and this has been Your Turn. And now, as always, it is your turn to get out, play some games, and have some fun. Have a good one, y'all.